Do you have, when you play with familiars, which already came out wrong, do you have, like, because you have characters that you like to go back to again and again, Oscar and, and yeah, yeah. probably some kind of gnome. Do you Oscar, have familiars yeah, uh, that you go back to? Uh, like a Bal- weasel. Bal- Balfram uh, Slaughter Bartfast is a common gnome name. He's my uh, typical go-to when I want to play a Mystic Thurge type character. Okay. So, and he has a familiar? Oh, yeah. He's got a floating uh, pseudo-dragon named Puck. So you either have a paragraph for a name or you have one syllable. Yeah. It seems to be your Yeah, pattern. no, I, 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 I like to find my humor in my character whoa, names. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, hey, Adam. So, uh, like I said, like, so Puck is a pseudo-dragon. You know, they're supposed to be... I Actually, I think he was a fairy dragon because they're supposed to be all beautiful and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I found this, like, absolutely gnarly picture of this big, fat, bloated, like, dripping oh, that's fairy cool. dragon. I like that. So, uh, Slaughter Bartfast had this big, disgusting thing called Puck. And anytime I would be called... Do you to, do familiars? Because uh, you'd be I've like, never known you have a familiar. Uh, no, because I never get to be a player. You never I'm, get to play uh, yeah. the game. <laughs> I'm always a DM. The which, monsters are your familiars. Yeah, the which, dragon. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so I, I don't spend all of my time coming up with uh, names that are from Hitchhiker's Guide. Slaughter Barfast? Slaughter Barfast from Hitchhiker's Guide and Puck is because he's small and round. So I was all like, <laughs> Alpha Flight. Right, okay. Yeah. So, um, you're stealing from other places. Let's talk about places. That's a segue. Oh, let's talk wow, about segue. nicely done. Let's let's talk about uh, environments. We talked about exploration before, but let's actually talk about the settings that we are um, that we're actually going to play in. So, can but we first, can we cut to the music? That's fat bass line. Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. Okay, so uh, we're back. We're talking about environments. Uh, one of the things that I want to talk about before anything else, before we get into the setting that you're in, the room that you're in, I want to talk about climate and weather. It is so important. It is definitive for some campaigns to be done in the snow or in the desert or in the underdark or wherever it is. I mean, Dark Sun alone, mm-hmm. Spelljammer, these are such massive uh, environmental issues that are hitting absolutely everybody. So let's talk about that for a little bit. What do you guys add when you are DMing to um, what? Dan's giving me a smile already. <laughs> Dan's ready to go. I am ready to go, but we to gotta, don't we got to roll initiative to do this first? Yep, uh, but I'm not using your crap dice that betrayed me last time. I'm using my own shiny new Ooh, dice. Beautiful. So I'll use the want... ginger dice? Okay, I'll use uh, I Spearmint Rhino. Named after my favorite type cocktail. of gum. What were you going with? Type of gum? Spearmint? No. And roll initiative. Well, I, I guess I'm going first. I, so I got I, a 16. You're terrible. I got six. Guys. I don't even... I'm never playing this game again. I'm sick of it. <laughs> okay, so uh, the very first thing that I want to talk about, of course, is um, the location in the world that you're in. The difference between a desert or uh, if you're inside a volcano. You guys notice that you are inside a lot of volcanoes in D&D. Like, there are just a lot of volcanoes. Comes up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's a fault. Yeah, you're like I, we got to play with geysers a little bit before because I wanted to yeah. mix it up. But originally, that idea was, and there's lava pouring up. With that would have been a far more intense encounter than hot steam. That's that's true. Hot steam, by the way, is uh, going to be my nickname from now on. That so. wow. But uh, I guess geysers not quite as lethal because lava does like it, it's like eighteen d ten or something ridiculous. Oh uh, yeah, get it, stuck with lava. So yeah, but but uh, when you are actually playing different environments and whatnot. When you're prepping it as a DM, 
versus when you're playing it as a, as a character. What are your concerns? What's the very first thing that pops into your head when I'm like, hey, you know what? We're going out into the desert. What are you guys thinking about? What am I thinking about? I'm answering right now. Yeah. I would say the an aspect which is often overlooked or I think played unfairly, which is the whole survival aspect of it. Yeah. We're talking yeah. heat yeah. and yeah. thirst. Um, remember, some races, some creatures are going to deal with this better than others. Um, I think that is either A, completely overlooked, because I think for newer DMs or for DMs, here's another thing I want to address. DMs that have played for so long that they've seen it so many times that they're no longer interested in it. No gets, idea what you're talking it about. It gets overlooked. Yeah. <laughs> Dan's a perfect example. Dan's played for 25 years. I, I can probably count on one hand the amount of times where weather has mattered. Okay, exactly, right? But for someone where, like me, I often talk to you guys about how much exploration is important to me. If we were going into a desert and Dan was like, all right, let's just hurry up and get there. You walk for five days, you don't see anything. I'm going, in a desert? Have you never <laughs> seen tremors, man? <laughs> <laughs> like so um, i think for me that the the whole environmental survival aspect with heat and thirst is often overlooked but this is the point i want to make about this this is the game it's not it is 10 percent is your plot hook with your your end goal that you're trying to get to to get through the desert to get to the mountain to put the ring in the lava spoiler alert but for me the game is the journey wow. getting there yeah absolutely it, right yeah like we're telling a collaborative story together. It's the journey that matters, right? It's not, it's not the but end But you point. guys don't just do like the snap cut visit, you know, tourism, New Zealand, walk through the mountains. No, no. When, when I have a month to prep a campaign, I sit there and I get really in my head about how far can you see in these thick jungle mists when you're on these massive rivers. And uh, one of the problems with our pirate campaign is you guys keep saying, well, there's no pirates in it. I'm like, the pirates are everywhere. You just can't see them because they're 30 feet beyond the right. edge of the hall. So if they're right. 35 feet and we can see 30 feet, that's it. Like, they don't exist to us. Yeah. yeah. So so that's a that's a major factor that I wanted to cut down on the fact that some people, and this is just me, some people can see in the dark and some people can't. So I'm like, well, I'm not just going to make it darkness. I'm going to give you a physical barrier. And so mist became a major factor in the, in the current campaign yeah, yeah, that we're in, yeah. right? Um, so... Uh, that also for me, because I know I was just touching on survival there, you know, um, and, and we'll get to it probably a little bit later on, but people will talk about puzzles and, and problems they have with puzzles. The environment is the puzzle. A you lot have of time, five yeah. people trying to get through a desert. There's your puzzle. There's yeah. this wonderful Go. little ability at the very bottom of the list called survival. Exactly. And, and even rangers and druids, I find, sit there and look at it in session zero and they go, oh, that's important. And then by session three... They've they rolled, rolled up maybe once. Yeah, yeah. Maybe exactly. Once. Yeah, exactly. See, for me, like I said, like I've been playing this game for so long that weather to me has never been the thing that stuck out unless it needed to. Like, can you guys imagine walking up to Strahd's Castle? Uh, Strahd's Castle? Strahd's Castle. Strahd's Castle. Strahd's Castle. I loved your accent then. Strahd's Perfect, Castle. Darling. Yeah. Um, and Marvelous. <laughs> Spectacular. Go on. You're, you're, you're slowly much. make us you're, all. You're, you're gonna slowly much. make us more, uh, you know, motherlandy. Slowly. Yeah. yeah. You guys are actually making me more Canadian by the day. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> also sorry. Um. So the get it because Canadian. We get it. Okay. Cool. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. Continue. Anyways. Uh. So the can you imagine walking up to Stroud's Castle and it's a big bright sunny day and birds are chirping. Chirping. Yeah. Like that's the big thing about the Curse of Stroud campaign. Well, hold on. Hold on a sec. 
Tell me about Chult. You actually got to play Tomb yeah. of Annihilation. And there's a whole part at the beginning of it about survival. Yeah. Right? So, so what what does that look like? I haven't played it. Tell, um, tell me about it. For one, I don't think I've ever heard of a single uh, group doing Tomb of Annihilation that follows the rules as they're written inside of the book for exploring the island of Chults and everything else. Because they're so convoluted and weird. But when it specifically comes to the environment and surviving in it, um, there's certain things you have to prepare for. So you're walking through the uh, uh, Port Nianzaru looking for uh, really three things. You're looking for food that's going to last you a couple weeks because you're out in the middle of the jungle for several weeks and you know this going into it. You're looking for a way to carry and maintain water. So you could build like, you could buy tents that funnel water into things that you could keep with you for a certain amount of time and you're tracking this on your uh, character sheet day by day. The other thing you're looking for, and this is the thing I love about bringing in weather, is insect repellent. Because you're walking through the middle of a, you know, prehistoric era jungle. There's going to be mosquitoes that are going to try to kill you. And and so you... You just make sure you're less sweaty than the barbarian. You have yeah. to be fine. You usually are. Barbarians <laughs> I by hear, nature are sweaty. I hear gin is a natural um, mosquito repellent. But I don't gin? know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. Like like a genie or like the clear alcohol? Oh, sorry. I meant yeah, like the gotta clear be, you got to be clear. Yeah, okay. But also, if you, happen <laughs> like to have, if you happen to have a genie with you... They, they will probably help. Yeah. All, right, all right, but hold on, because you make a really good point about all this stuff. And insect repellent's great. Yeah. But everything that you said was consumable. Yeah. So are you tracking time as a DM? Do you guys deal with calendars? And if so, how do you do it? Right. Uh, so typically I don't. I just kind of hand wave days. Because um, the date itself in my camp, like I said, I'm the lazy DM. So I'm not going to add these little things that are going to be more... I just randomly assume, uh, it's been enough time for something major to happen. Sure. Like, there's no real rhyme or reason to me maintaining a calendar. I feel like in Dan's campaign, it's always 20 degrees, clear skies, and around about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Unless or it's, it's not, a, and then you pay attention. Yeah, <laughs> or, or it's midnight, and we're on, oh, let's say watch 2. Well, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, like, in my campaign, if it starts to rain, there's a reason. I've got a, I've got a thing. Nothing I do is subtle, right. I guess. So, like, if, yeah. I, Adam, I, I said nothing. Adam, I said nothing. Yeah, your face spoke thousands of words. <laughs> no, uh, the if it's raining, there's a reason. If it's a thunderstorm, there's a reason. If it's misty out, there's a reason, right? Um, I don't just go, yeah, it's fall, so it's chilly, I guess, right? Can I? Now, I know you have your reasons for that. Yeah, laziness. I'm gonna, Unadulterated it, it, it laziness. It is laziness, but yeah. you know the game so well that you're very good at making it fun. But my rebuttal to that is as a player, this is my reaction. If it's been 2 o'clock in the afternoon, overcast 20 degrees for the past three days, and you go, it suddenly starts to rain. I go, can I roll a perception check? Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. If it had been raining for three but, days. But the thing is, the thing is, I'm okay with that. Like, if, if, I, if I am mentioning something and a player reacts to it, that's a win in my book. That's them paying attention. That's them being engaged. Now, now you see, I'm the exact opposite because not only did I make my own calendar that has 595 days <laughs> and six massive seasons, which is just, I know, yes, it's overkill. Man. You are a psychopath. Adam sees in Matrix Code. <laughs> so, so not only do I do, I do that, but... I'm going to throw my box of dice on the ground and get you to count them in less than a second. Yeah, but the I'll just add up all the values too. So. Yeah. And also there's three of them in there because there's three of us. <laughs> um, no, like but, but, but the... Uh, the fact is that I take the calendar and not only do I track the days, but when we do random encounters, I track the hours too. Yeah. Right. I have you guys roll. It's not just roll a D20 to see what happens or I roll behind the screen, right, to come up with which one of my monsters is there. I want you to roll 
Well, what is it? I think it's a it's a D eight to determine how many days go by. Then yep. there's there's four D eight, and I've got a random table to find out what time of day, how many hours have gone by, and then we roll to see if. It's well, a- you've built that. <coughs> excuse me. You've built that system in order to engage your players in that decision but, as well, because there's there's enough things that we have to roll around the table where you'll if it's my turn, I'll get to roll the D twelve, and then. You know, another player will get to roll the 2d4, and then another player will roll the 3d8, and then one player will throw a single d6 on the ground. But, but it's also to keep it interesting for me as the DM, because I don't know what you guys are going to hit. Because if you guys hit drow at night, that's a lot scarier than drow yeah. at 2 in the afternoon. Yeah, that's Right? True. And yeah. so, um, if it's suddenly 2 in the afternoon, and I'm sitting there going, okay, so it's about 2 o'clock now. We've rolled on the table. I know what's coming. You guys don't. Yeah. Right? But you've all rolled. And like, uh, place yourselves in your marching order on this on this randomized map that yeah. I've thrown down and whatnot. But what but are also, you guys doing? Hold on, what what are you guys doing? And then I sit there, and while I'm asking you all these questions, you're setting it up. I'm going, why the fudge are drow out at two in the afternoon? <laughs> what is what could possibly be important? So now this gives me a second to come up with an interesting motivation, and we've gone radically off the rails, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of random encounters, uh, because of the time of day and the fact that it shifted on us. Yeah. yeah. I have questions about that, but I know you've been itching to say something. Well, I'm just saying, like, uh, to also stay on the side of, you know, weather and environment, you have also, for those 599 days, have have every single day has a weather pattern tracked. And with the the campaign homebrew world that you have, those matter. So, you're like, you are constantly reminding us as the players... Too. Hey guys, pay attention to the calendar I give, I've given you because if we get too far along here, you're in the storm season and this is a river campaign, so good luck. That's great for it though because and, and this is something which gets missed a lot though. The weather is crucial for it. So we have our calendar in our game and we're literally deciding what are we going to – are we going to go after the MacGuffin in the mountain, whatever we're doing tomorrow? Nope, because there's a snowstorm tomorrow and that will change everything. Everything you guys ended up fighting a white dragon in the blizzard. This is before Dan you, you joined. They fought a white dragon in a blizzard, but they went hunting it and they had to wait for the they were tasked with killing all of these different dragons. Yeah. And they said, Well, we know it comes in the winter season and the cold season, so they waited for it and then they waited to see it on the horizon. We're like, All right, here we go out into the farmlands. Let's pull this thing down. We'll lure it into a barn. And we had a whole encounter about it. But you guys had to wait for that. But it, it made the game so much more interesting because that was another dynamic. The weather was the puzzle, which is what I was saying before. How do we deal with this white dragon in a snowstorm in farmlands? We had to change our strategy. It, and realistically, if it was a clear day, why the hell would I stand in a barn when a dragon is coming towards yeah. me? I would not. I would do somewhere else. But that's the only way that our team could control the situation. As long as you're standing near the back of the line of people, you're fine. Yeah. We're fine. yeah. No, my character was not. As is, tradition, <laughs> as is tradition, I was at the front. But my question that I wanted to ask you before, because you were talking about rolling random tables, I've previously done it differently in which I will roll before the game. Yeah. Because your comment that you just said there, Adam, you were saying... I have to figure out on the fly, or using my experience and my knowledge, why are drow out at 2 o'clock in the morning? What what are they doing right now? Whereas I would previously roll it before the game, knowing that it would happen at this day, this time, no matter what the party is doing. So it just kind of blends in with the story. Right. That's okay. far too much paperwork. So, so <laughs> I'm not married. Right. So I have free time. So I make all of my random tables myself. Fair yeah. yeah. And so um, when I'm like, hey, I'm going to throw drow, for example, down on here, and they're in a jungle. I need to know 
why they're in the jungle, what they're doing. And I have kind of a general idea. And maybe in the daytime they're doing this and at nighttime they're doing that. Maybe if you guys are near the coast and they've got some ship that they have got all the people on there enslaving or depending on where you are. And I kind of plot that out when I decide to drop them in the random table. Yeah. But I don't know if you're going to hit that. So there are things that are happening. Like there, you guys are in an area where there's a purple worm. You are level 13 right now. If that pops up, you're screwed. Like, there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You guys just walked through an area that had a Nightwalker in it. And I rolled to see if you would run into it. Because I gave you a, a big heads up that if you if this comes out, you run. Yeah. Right? Like, you, you can't beat this thing. Here it is. Because that's another part of the environment. There are things out there bigger than you. If you look at that narrow mountain pass and say, you know what? We can't do that. We got to go around. You should be doing that for your ancient red dragon that lives in the mountain and you're level four. You go, you know, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, that, that realism needs to be there really because just because you're a low level doesn't mean the world is a low level yeah, around and, you. You don't level up at the same time. And I'm very, I'm a big proponent of the fact that the world moves on without you. There are high level NPCs out in the world. Yeah. Um, some of them are good, some of them are bad, but they become part of the of the world and therefore part of the environment around you as well. Um the other thing too is that when we, uh, when I'm running a calendar, right, I know what the weather, what the weather patterns are because of my homebrew. It's the same year after year after year. On this day of this month, you know it's going to be sunny. Yeah. On this day of this month, you know it's going to be snowy, right? And I go through it. So, and here's the other thing about environments, which I think a lot of people miss. And spoiler alert: what happens when that suddenly changes? When the weather suddenly changes? When, when the calendar no longer lines up. When the weather goes from, it should be bright and sunny, and now there's a hailstorm in July. Oh, that's right. very specific, because that's what you do. I wouldn't necessarily have the weather the same. No, no, but, but the but point... But it's, it's, it's paying attention to even, like, weather patterns in the game. Like, even if you're a lazy DM, like I am, and... and, and if you're, you're walking my... through Chult and there's a blizzard all yeah. of a sudden, what is this about? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not hard to make that leap of uh, logic. So I, I just wanted to point out that the other good thing that you can use for environment, um, or you can use the environment for, is omens and portents. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you can and then, signal and to things, to, or signal things to your players yeah. about what's coming and how bad things are going to be because now all of a sudden the river is running red. Right. Yeah. And this is what I was trying to get to, like walking up to Stroud's castle and the bright sun is going to be miserable. But you know, walking up to Stroud's castle and it's raining and there's a thunderstorm and there's this dark gloom, even though it's the middle of the day, you know that there's something evil in this place by setting the tone with, with your weather. And, right? and, and, and so that's part of it, right? It doesn't even have to be like the river's now running red with, uh, red with blood and there are frogs hopping out of it. Like you don't need to be that overall blatant about it. You could be a little, and I realized I said I wasn't all that subtle, and I would do the river red runs. Yeah. But, like, you could do far more subtle things as well and be like, it's getting darker earlier than you expect. And mm -hmm. only tell your more nature-attuned party members that, mm -hmm. right? Like, there's there's nothing saying that you can't just give information without a role. Yeah. Right? But uh, honestly, if you have passive perception, why don't you have passive investigation? Like, how much are you, like, thinking about the world around you? Passive right. survival. Like, you just... We'll talk about that yeah, next episode. We'll talk about that next episode. We'll talk about that next episode. But just to wrap up on this before we roll dice again, uh, you were talking about walking up to Strahd's castle. Now, the other environmental thing that a lot of people take for granted are, are you on a road? Because roads make a huge difference, not just for travel speed, 
but for visibility, for attack plans, for ambushes, for like, there's a lot going on mm-hmm. just by adding or taking away a road yep. or a path. And suddenly you or need, even the quality of the road and or path. Yeah, and now you need that ranger or that that druid. And if you don't have them, then you are desperate to find a guide. Yeah. And now we're working in local NPCs because there are no roads. I mean, it all comes down to environment. That's the first step. We all like talk about maps, but the maps are the key factor in telling you everything that you need to know about where this campaign is likely going to go. Yeah. So I think that just before we wrap this part up, the, the, the big thing is that uh, the environment can be so underused, but just creates a massive element to your game, whether it just be puzzles, survival, it, it is underused and it it shouldn't be. No. <laughs> it's where I'm going. Yeah. And, and if someone is rolling perception and they don't roll high enough to see the orcs that are peering through them, at, give them environmental things to focus on, right? There are There's so much in the world that we just just zoom right past Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't Mm -hmm. right there's so much more about that how cool would it be to hear your company name on this podcast pretty stinking cool it's mimic is ready to take our show to the next level we want to partner with other awesome businesses to share your brand with our listeners please email us at info at itsamimic.com for advertising information Plains and the Underdark, let's talk about the other environments that existed there beyond jungle and tundra and desert. Um, so there are a million planes to go through and locations within the planes. So and get comfortable because we're about to break them down. Yeah. Uh, and everyone just like looked at their at the time stamp. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they're yeah. like, okay, this isn't six hours long. We're not doing the planes today. Yeah. But here's really quickly what the planes are. All right, so there's the Prime Material Plane, and that's where 99% of uh, campaigns start. Yep. Uh, it is your Forgotten Realms, even your Eberron, anywhere that is that kind of follows the general basic physics and rules and whatnot. And then, um, and like you guys pipe up with this, um, have you been to uh, the Echo? They call them the Echo. So it's the Shadowfell and the Feywild. No, oh, I, yeah. I tell you guys right now, I will know the least out of all three of us about the planes. And I'm probably just going to be firing legitimate questions at you for the next 20 minutes yeah. about them. I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. by them. I know the basics. I know the material plane, the material <laughs> plane, astral plane. But I'm genuinely listening to you right now. So, Well, uh, yeah, okay. So there's the Feywild and the Shadowfell. And Dan, you can pipe up with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I find the Feywild has, depending on your DM, it's going to have a different interpretation of what it does, and I'm fine with that. Well, the Shadowfell is is muted. That's the word that they keep using. Yeah. And it's this idea that uh, there's depression, and it's sucking the joy out of you. Mm-hmm. And it is a dark reflection. They call it an echo, um, it, but it's a dark reflection of, of our world. Yeah. Where there are points in it that line up with points in, in our, or in the campaign world, right? Yeah. So. Um, in the prime material plane and that there are points that line up but the distances may be different or there may be like a small farming village in the prime material plane that just isn't there yeah in 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 the shadow fell um and but then there's the feywild to the other side of that which is just infused with life yeah and if If if, there's a shrub in the material plane it is a 20 foot tall oak tree in the feywild yeah or it's still a shrub but it's bright purple and sings like it is so full of 
um, fae and and magical uh, horseshit. So here's really. <laughs> well, but, but it's important because these things need to align. But before we go really deep dive into this, do we want to roll initiative on this? Well, hold on. Let, let me get through the planes, okay, and then yeah. I have a okay. question for you. Okay? okay. So so this is going to be like like a long explanation, really quickly. Sure. So um, you mentioned the astral plane and the ethereal plane. Uh, the astral plane you don't actually visit; your mind does. Uh, there are ways to get there, but for the most part, it's your mind uh, that travels. And if you die there, you come back to your body. Uh, the ethereal plane, you can actually, you traditionally actually visit. Um, and these are, they're called the transitive planes because you have to cross them to get to the inner planes, which are your four elements. Mm-hmm. Your fire plane, your earth plane, your air plane, your water plane. Um, airplane. Your airplane. <laughs> so um, in these places... There are it. I I always hated the idea of of the plane of air because I see I'm not calling an airplane now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of of the plane of air because I'm like so you're just falling forever like there's just air everywhere. No, it's floating islands and stuff. In the airplane, you're just falling forever. Well, well, surely you can't be serious. (laughs) All right. Well done. Well done. You are you are going to derail me. Um, So pretty easy when you bring up airplane. Let's go. The plane of air. So. So anyway, with the with the plane of air, for example, there are floating islands. And whatnot. It's not just air, just like in the in the plane of fire. It's it, not just open flame at all times. Right. There, there's like a, a desert, but it's parched, and there's drought and and whatnot to it. But the further into it you go, the more it does become volcanoes and and then just seas of lava and then just eternal fire. Right. And so the further out you go, the more it becomes that plane and goes out into the elemental chaos. How many ways in and out are there? Because you're talking about going in, like deeper. Well, you can you can use portals, you can use gates, you can bypass it all together by having specific guidance. In, in some and games, there's you can, a little literal path that goes through all of them, and you get like a boatmaster, like Sharon or the River Styx, that goes through all of it. Ooh. Well, okay. but that's that's specifically like the abyss. Or that's whatever. the lower planes. The lower so planes, yeah. so when you get to the when you get to the outer planes, the outer planes are essentially alignment. Um, I guess based. Yeah, like, yeah. So you'll have your lawful. You'll have your good. You'll right. have your but, well, but more specifically, you have your lawful good, and then you have your your neutral good. But you also have a plane between that, which is both lawful good and neutral good. So there are five good. There are six neutral, and then there are five um five evil. So Are there dramatic differences between them. Absolutely, yes. yeah. absolutely. So, um, and there are there's the river Styx that goes through all of the lower planes, which are the evil ones, and there's the river Oceanus, I believe, that goes through all the upper planes. Okay, cool. Um, so there's kind of a parallel there. Where it starts and stops, you, nobody really knows because it goes to either the deepest pit of the abyss or the highest um, peak, peak on Mount Olympus. And so, right? speaking simply, can I get on that river at any point, or do I have to start here and go through? Uh, well, if you end up, for example, um, uh, teleporting, for lack of a better word, um, if you shift... Plane shift? Yeah, yeah, into... And this is one of them, the Happy Hunting Grounds. Okay. If you go into the Happy Hunting Grounds, then you can get on the river wherever you want, because it's one of the more neutrally based good... Yeah, um, good planes of existence, and it will take you to others as well. But you don't have no, you don't have to start from one and go through absolutely everything. Obvious question for the noobs, yeah, out there. When you say river, do you mean a literal river? Literal river. There literal are river. boats. How, boatmen. Yeah. However, 
the uh, the river Oceanus is uh, calm and placid. Like, there are waterfalls and rapids, but it's generally calm and anyone can really navigate on them. And it heads, <laughs> it heads to the to the sea where um, uh, Mount Olympus and Celestia and all that are there. The bright, shining oceans that are eternal. That's the other thing with the planes. Every plane is eternal, which doesn't make an ounce of sense. <laughs> because they have... Borders that they go up against, but they're also all eternal. So don't think too hard this about is, it. You just I can't. This is like it, quantum, yeah, fantasy physics. I can't yeah. handle this. Yeah, it's um, a mystery. Move on. How, however, there's people the, out there pretending they do understand it, but we know you don't. But the but the river sticks. However, <laughs> if you end up in the waters of the river sticks, you lose memories. You lose your sense of self, and in a very short period of time, you just become a mindless husk. And actually navigating the river sticks is one of the most dangerous things ever. You need to find a Yugoloth, essentially, to help you through it. You need a fiendish guide, uh, which is a crazy take on the on the regular myth of, yeah. of the River Styx. But even beyond the Outer Plains, there's the Far Realms, which is where the old gods are from. Oh my goodness. Right. And then beyond that is the uh, Plane of Dreams, where there's nothing material and it's just chaos and idea. And so whatever you can think of, can take place in these planes. And then the prime material plane itself has different versions of it depending on where you're going. You can go to Ravnica. You can go to... Um, yeah, yeah th- think you, of, think of this massive you can go to, planescape and then shift dimensional travel into it as well. Yeah. Where, so, like, based on choice, there are infinite choices all So the way what I really want to do in the future sometime is an episode, or like a series of small episodes to hit each one of these things specifically to go through it. But... It's it's madness going out to these things, and I wanted to ask you guys first of all. I I know your answer, Terry, but but Dan, have you been to the planes, and how often does it come up in a campaign? So in my current campaign that I'm DMing, it's going to be a big uh, component of my campaign. Um, I actually thoroughly enjoy planar travel. I think it keeps things interesting. There's only so much you can. Um, if you're playing a high magic campaign, you need to have planar travel in it because that's just it's part and parcel with a high magic campaign. Well, a lot of a lot of times, I mean, the general rule is that when you hit tier three, you're supposed to jump over yeah. the planes. Right? Yeah, exactly, right. And, and at that point, you're conversing with gods and you're conversing with arch devils if they're not flaying you alive, and yeah. you're conversing with you know demon princes if they're not wearing your skin. Like there's there's things like that that are happening. Um, and that is your, that's your latter half. That's your latter two tiers, especially tier four, where you're going and making bargains with gods to defeat gods, right? Yeah. Or, or become gods yourself. So like, I think there is a easy path to get there in every campaign, but I find the most satisfying and rewarding and typical campaigns happen between level two and 12. So do you think that's why in fifth ed, see, we've only had one actual module like a book that's been released that is an adventure campaign that leads you from up to level 20 i mean i don't think there's anything that's uh, uh, dungeon of the mad mage right is it's the most recent one that takes you up to level 20 um but there's nothing like above level 14 i I think in any other i think that's the exact reason is because you're gonna play a 12 level campaign that's going to take you about a year if you follow their leveling scheme. Right, but uh, that's also why we don't have anything about the planes. Like, there's some stuff out there. Curse of Strahd touches on it briefly. Um, I mean, Barovia is a demi-plane, which is its own little pocket universe. It's a little pocket dimension that lives off of the Shadowfell. 
right? So it's not actually in the Shadowfell. It's born from the Shadowfell. And like, not all... It's like we should make this clear. We should yeah. make this clear. Not all demiplanes come from the Shadowfell. Just Barovia itself is part of the Shadowfell. Yeah, there are demi planes are just demiplanes. Like, in... Uh, um, Tomb of Annihilation, there is demiplane travel as well. Oh, is there? Yes. There Spoiler is. alert. Um, <laughs> if you come to a tunnel that turns around in a big Spoiler circle. Spoiler alert? Dad, what? My Spoiler God. alert. Just, no. Have you never been on the internet? They'll kill us for this. Oh, they probably will. All right, so, but but beyond all of the planes, so so you've run into it before, mm-hmm. right? And as a DM, you're thinking, okay, we're going to go planar travel. As a player, what do you do when you're like, oh, hey, we're heading out to the plane of water? Do you just like poop depends on scared, the like, depends on the character i'm playing if i'm oscar i'm charging through the door even if that door is a big shimmering glowing portal depends what the depends what the, the player or the character or both knows about the planes mm-hmm. uh, anyway i mean i have so many questions about the planes <laughs> that i genuinely uh can i ask first yep. though as a dm let's use the feywild for example what are the rules if any or the guidelines to follow for these planes, because we've already touched on how the Feywild can be different to every DM. And Dan, you kind of said about everything's more exaggerated. Adam, you've talked before about how it's like you've turned the contrast up on your TV. For for newer DMs trying this for the first time, what are the rules? We're going to the Feywild. What do I need to know? <laughs> what are the rules to the Feywild? Oh, oh my God. All right. So <laughs> there aren't any. But, so, there, but there is, though. Because yeah, you've already told yeah, me what there, the are, expectations there are, rules. are. Okay, so so the big thing is that emotion is ramped up to 11. Okay. That's number one. Nature is ramped up to 11 as well. Right? That's number two. And everything in there is going to be open to interpretation yeah. as far as the creatures inside. You're going to find animals that can speak while other animals can't with no rhyme or reason behind it. You're going to find a lot of the, the fae creatures, whether it's fairies or it's formians, uh, formorians, not formians, they're different. Um, but uh, this sorry, form, this, this form, game formians are ant creatures. The, yeah. yeah. Okay. And what was the other one you said? Formorians, and which are gigantic, misshapen, giant people. And foremen are are Dan, me, Dan, Dan. foremen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So skilled tradesmen. Yeah. So okay. um, anyway, uh, so there's all of these different things that are, that are in there, and they all have their own weird view on on how the world works. Hags, for example, um, are loosely tied to the Feywild, depending on who you talk to. And they're also, they've got a weird idea of what's normal and what isn't. Mm-hmm. They have their own strange, weird logic about them. Yeah, if, if you're running a monster in the Feywild, I like to make sure it meets one of the three H's when it comes to the um, uh, Feywild specifically. Every single creature in the Feywild is one of these three things. It's either hungry, it's horny, or it's happy. And it's one of those three things. <laughs> now, um, if it's hungry, it will probably want to eat you. And it's going to chase you through the Feywild and try to eat you. These okay. are going to be your Fomorians, your your um, your more bestial, exaggerated animals and things like that that you have in there. And if it's horny, if it's, it's horny, it's going to chase you through the Feywild to try and eat you. Yeah, yeah, just in a different way, uh, or or do things to you, or to be serious, charm you and keep you there forever as a personal sex slave or personal servant of some kind. Right. And if it's happy. It's going to mess with you. It's going to play tricks on you. It's going to uh, possibly even give gifts to you that may backfire. I see what you're saying there because I've encountered all three of those things in the Feywild. My other question is, because you guys just went through the guidelines there, do 
do the plains make sense to the inhabitants? So if I was going to go to the Feywild, I'm like, this does not make sense to me. Yes, does it make absolutely. Sense to it makes sense. There? It makes sense to the to the creatures in the Feywild. It does. They they operate by their own rules, and they may not understand what the pixie is thinking, but they understand that pixies think this. Yeah. They don't know why. Right. They don't know the specifics of it, but they understand that. Oh, hey, there's a red cap. Run. Right. Like yeah. like we know what we're getting into now. Um, the other thing about creatures in the Feywild, and this is this is my own personal take on it, is I love to go into the old uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. side of things and really dig into the brownies and, and the pixies and the fairies. And But it's not just that. There are other creatures from old Irish um, Your satyrs and, and leprechauns. Well, uh, satyrs are Greek, but uh, Greek and is another... Well, yeah, no, thrown in there. Yeah. yeah, but Greek is another pantheon that's like tied right into the Feywild. Like, so, uh, so like the Irish ones, you're talking like will-o'-wisps and things like that. Well, will-o'-wisps are undead, so I probably wouldn't use a will-o'-wisp there. I would tend to use a will-o'-wisp in a haunted swamp, as swamp lights to pull yeah. someone in. But yeah, things that are illuminated, right? I want to see tons of fairy dragons. I know in 5th Ed, they're dragons. But traditionally speaking, they were always, before this, fae and dragons. So, for right. me, they're fae and dragons, right? So, but I want things, I want them to ask you a riddle, and if you can't solve it, then I will eat your liver. The rest of you will be fine, though. But I will eat your liver. That's what I mean. It's how they're, they appreciate things that we would not appreciate in the material plane, and things that are very important to us are suddenly not important to them. Yeah, they are going to be so entertained hearing about how you sat down and cooked a pot of beans... Because it's bizarre to them. And yet, they're going to pull out some Dr. Zeus-looking herb and be like, but munch on this, you're going to get stoned for the next 24 hours, but don't worry, it's cool. Right. Right? Like, their their perspective on the world is strange, and everything, everything, everything intelligent in the Feywild bargains. Yeah. So, be wary of everything in the Feywild. Now, we just spent a whole lot of time talking about the Feywild specifically. But, for every single plane out there, it's like that. Where they have their own rules, they have their own laws, even if it's a chaotic area, like, you know how things act, right? So, there is a method to every kind of madness, and every kind of madness is different on each plane. I have one more question yeah. to whoever wants it. Is there civilizations, built-up civilizations, in every plane, or some of them select few cities? Uh, I would say yes, and... Um, or even a yes, but to that, uh, in places like the happy hunting grounds, there's going to be civilizations, but they're going to be loose hunting camps. Right. In places like, uh, you, you, the, got, you got a Mount Celestia though, right? And yeah. Uh, Mount Celestia, Mount, there is a massive city on the top of the There, mountain, there are the seven layers of yeah. cities right. all the way up, like yeah. ministerial um, style. But... You go to the plane of fire. There's the city of brass. You go to which is established as a city that even mundane humans could go to. It's hot. You're going to be wearing a tank top, but you could go. But it's not. Um, it, it like it's threatening. Like it's intimidating. But I mean, you could just go to it as though it was a regular city, and you're it's, okay. It's, it's going to have trade. It's going to yeah. have yeah. laws. It's going to have rulers. It's going to have citizens. And, yeah, and but but remember that those laws, rulers, citizens, all those things don't necessarily have to be mundane. They will be alien because these are alien realms. Right. Right? So you're, you'll go to the City of Brass and see devils walking down the street. Right? They're still devils. They're still evil creatures. But they're, they're probably not going to attack you on sight because there are rules within the City of Brass and devils are lawful creatures. So they're going to maintain those rules. But those rules are going to be something like, oh, if that's a lesser race, I could still enslave you on the spot. 
Right. That's still going to be a thing. That and every person on the street knows it. And, right? and, is, and, and either accepts it or is just willing to let it happen. Because they know if they resist it, then they are breaking the law. And thus they must face the consequences of those laws. Which is probably going to be flayed alive or your skin being worn as a suit. Are some races just naturally more accepted in certain areas than others? Absolutely. Oh, Elves yeah. in the Feywild, tieflings in the city of Brass, or where I'm, I might be getting some things yeah, mixed up. Absolutely. But. Your fiends are going to be lower. Your celestials are going to be upper. Right? You're going to have anything that's uh, elemental will be in any one of the four inner planes. Yeah. Um, there are all sorts of uh, astral beings that exist in the astral sea. Oh, I mean, you're, to travel to. Okay. Like, one of like the, the core races or any of the ex- um, extended races, like, if we were to travel to the Feywild, are they going to be more accepting of, say, elves and dwarves there? It, it's up to the DM how you, how you <laughs> want to play it. We don't have a lot of information in 5th Ed about, about what the planes are. Yeah. There, there's a little bit, but there's not much. Right. Whereas in previous editions, we had books called The Planes. Right, like it was, it was all about that. The other thing that I want to touch on really briefly before we move on to the to the last thing is uh, the Underdark. Now, the Underdark has its own set of rules, and it's on the Prime Material Plane, and you go literally three miles underground, and you are in the Underdark. And the Underdark is a massive world underneath. This is not just tunnels. It is caverns that that are so large that you can't see the other side of it. There are underground oceans. This place is huge. And you can't necessarily get from one place in the Underdark to another, right? So there are different sections and portions. There are cities. There are communities. And it is oppressive. And it is dark. And everything down there is about slavery. Every intelligent race is either enslaved, enslaving, or recently free and trying to not be enslaved again, right? So everything down there is about slavery. And everything is, is I mean, I think uh, out of the abyss... Spends a lot of time in the Underdark. Yeah, spends a lot of time in there. And the, the main plot hook of it is the Demon Princes are coming know, through. I don't know too much, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah are, are the Demon Princes are coming into the Underdark. And so you are you start in there and you have to figure out how to keep them from coming through. Right. So you, considering Out of the Abyss is supposed to be, in my head, about demons. There's very little demons in Out of the Abyss. There are very few. It's all about the Underdark and Drow and... Yeah. And mind flayers, which I absolutely love, and um, and the Duragar, and there's all these dark creatures, these dark versions of that are evil in and of themselves. You don't want to get caught down in the Underdark because you're not going to be able to find food because there's no regular vegetation. You're licking lichen off of walls and hoping that this mushroom doesn't take you on a wacky trip, right? So that's uh, that's pretty much what you're dealing with in the underdark and there and it's hard like you get levels of exhaustion just from like running around in there just because it's so oppressive or kind of yeah. dull's probably not the right word dull's more i imagine shadow fell yeah 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 it's it's l- literally dark and yeah. and it is uh, confusing and disorienting and if you don't know the way through the underdark cuz you are you are underground. Like I say, like there's these big areas, these huge caverns with cities. Maybe there's two or three cities in this one massive uh, cavern, cavern yeah. it, that's underground and whatnot. But there are portions where you're just walking through tunnels that you don't know what's on the other side. And you got to hope that you read Durgar. Because if you don't understand their language, you don't understand the signs that they've erected. And if you can't follow the signs, you're going to get lost underground and have no way of finding your way back. Yeah, you're going to find a purple dragon. <laughs> 
Which that is the dragon of the Underdark. There's like, oh really? Yeah, I didn't make that oh, up. Really? Yeah, you laughed because I was being ridiculous. I was laughing because I thought you made it up, and I was celebrating that you did. No, so, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, guys, I want to talk real quick. Are there any shoutouts you want to throw out? No. Okay, me. All right. Cool. So, um, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the shoutouts that I want to throw out, and it's uh, it's a little overdue at this point. I think we can all agree is a uh, RPG Yogi. Yes, oh, RPG yeah. Yogi, Yogi, Yogi Bear, Yogles. <laughs> Is that Yogles? what it is? Yogles? I have several names for RPG Yogi. <laughs> <laughs> now, are we talking just Yogi? Or are we talking like all? She's part of Crit Chick. She's part of she's attached Dice to Ministry. She's like connected to everything. She is connected to the D and D Matrix at yeah. this point. She, yeah, she's, she's, she was she's my, just streamlining right in. Yeah, yeah, she was my introduction to the D and D Instagram world. Yeah, um, but uh, she's been fantastic and absolutely yeah. wonderful as far as supporting us. Um, and not just the It's a Mimic, but all of us separately as well. Yep. Um, so, I don't know. I wanted to give a little a little shout out um, and uh, say hi. You, everyone should follow her. It's at RPG underscore Yogi. Yeah. And she does D&D and yoga. Like, it's a it's a legit name. Like, awesome. the first time I saw her actually she, doing, like, a yogi, a yogi video, I'm like, oh, okay, that's a legit name, not just because you have an affinity for picnic games. She has assigned me yoga poses as well. Our oh, conversations true. have gone outside of D&D, and now I'm like, yogs, I can't move, help me. <laughs> <laughs> so now I have yoga poses, which I didn't do today, but I will do them later. Uh-oh. All right. You're going to get a tersely worded DM pretty quick here. <laughs> All right, so the last thing that I want to uh, just jump into really quickly is the unique locations um, that we ourselves have experienced or witnessed. What are the locations that have stuck out to you, whether it's an environment or, Dan, a plane for you because you have a lot more experience uh, as a player kind of wandering around. But what what are the things that... Well, hold on. We're going to roll initiative for it. Dan's ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I got so many. But but what are the things that, that we... When we think of a awesome D&D location, this is the first one that you think of that you yourself have played in. Okay. Let's roll for it. Oh, come oh, on. That's 20. Really? Oh. Uh, I'm going to hold my action. At least I'm not going Oh, last. of course you are. Uh, yeah. I, well, I'm, you've done a lot of talk on this one so far. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I have. But what it comes down to is the fact that I have very, very rarely been a player. Right. So I'm not going to sit here and talk about, well, this time that I made this wicked environment, I'm not going to like toot my own horn on this. So give me a minute to rifle through. The old mental okay. Rolodex. That means you're next, Terry, with your 11. I have one, but I, I actually want to, I want to hold my action as Seriously, well. Seriously, guys? Because I want to drill you more. Ah, uh, drill you. Okay, phrasing. But I want to uh, drill your location because you've had so much more experience than me. I want to pull from what your experience is, and then I'll mention mine okay. afterwards. I'll mention drilling mine my afterwards. location is no better than drilling. Me. Okay. Just... You're about to be drilled. Go. Hold up, Gross. Before you pull from him. Now go. Gross. Okay, uh, in terms of a mundane everyday location, and I'm going to give a shout out right just real quick to all of my OG nerds who played AD&D and all that other stuff. Um, there is a dual location that I have to mention. The first one is going to be the Moat House outside of Homlet, just south of Verbabonk in Oerth, which is where the Temple of Elemental Evil sits. There are multiple campaigns that go out to the Temple of Elemental Evil, and each one of them like different modules that go out to the Temple of Elemental Evil. Um, and each one of them starts in the village of Hamlet and you go to the moat house outside the village of Hamlet first. It is the site of a classical battle 
versus a massive blue dragon, which I've had dozens of characters named Oscar Dyad. Um, <laughs> Uh, my 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 long term D and D group, which has been mostly the same group of guys since you know we were in our uh, preteen years, was I have done this place over and over and over and over and over again. It is our go to if we're ever feeling stagnant. I love it. It's great. It's got the classical fantasy feel. Everything underneath is a massive uh, obelisk, which has some stuff to it that I won't spoil. But it is also the birthplace of my favorite item ever, tetanus, which we'll get to later. Um, the other one is the Borderlands. Um, you can't go wrong with rampaging orcs and giants in sweeping mountains with tall uh, watch, like lonely watchtowers overwatching the entire thing. And a massive um, orcs versus giants versus gnolls campaign there. It's... Uh, so the Keep on the Borderlands is a classic module. Uh, Temple of Elemental Evil is classic, and they're classic because of these locations. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, would you like to drill him? Should I leave? I actually, after that, don't have too many questions about those. I know okay. about both of those things, and uh, no, that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah. No. <laughs> Who goes next? You. You. Yeah. Me. Um, mine is a homebrew unique location. Adam, one of yours that I know I've mentioned to you before that I really, really love, and I'll go into the details why, was the city that you created called Westral Tops, <laughs> yeah. which was on, I don't know how you would describe this rock formation. It, was, giant... it was a spire that, that came from the bottom of a cavern. So there's a cavern that's uh, 200 feet deep. You mean a... Uh... Uh, or Sorry, a uh, what's what, chasm. Chasm, that, that's, yeah. uh, that's 200 feet deep and 400 feet around in, in the narrowest dimension. Right. Uh, or 400 feet across the narrowest dimension. And in the very center of it, there was a spire that came up to ground height. Yeah. With a whole bunch of bridges across the spire and the city sitting on top of the spire. Right. So it's it's not that it was high. It was d- deep more than anything. Right? Yeah. The ca- but it was... And it was just this fully functioning, full large city on top of this tiny area that was kind of built up. And then there was rope bridges coming out from it in all directions. But not... Even in my mind, I still don't do it justice. I'm like, oh, there's a few kind of bridges that go across that went for miles and yeah. miles and miles. And it was just the way you described it, I just it made me realize that everything in D D can be and really should be much more exaggerated than what we have in the real world. Yeah. What is the point in having a regular rope bridge that goes across maybe two hundred feet when the, the there's so much more to the story and so much more excitement and exploration to do? When it goes for how far? Seven miles or something like yeah, that? Yeah, there was one of the most. And it miles. just made it so much more challenging. And when uh, there was, you know, a, a story hook that was happening in there with regards to a beholder that was beneath the city and uh, earthquakes and all kinds of different things happening, it just made it so much more interesting. I just really loved that city. It was great. I'm just really proud of myself right now. Thank you, Terry. That, well, that, you're welcome. I hope that I hope you weren't about to choose your own city of Westall Tops. Uh, no, I was not. Um, as far as I see, I was going to cheat and just grab one that I wanted to play in, um, which is the uh, Tomb of Horrors. I have always wanted to go to the Tomb of Horrors because that is environmental... Uh, I'm, I'm going to drop an F-bomb. Plug your ears. It's environmental fuckery as far as the eye can see. You know that's the only one we get for the whole show, right? Yeah, that's right. You guys are stuck in... <laughs> burned it out in episode five. Thanks. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so the... The thing about it is that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, there's traps. And it's not just like, oh, there's spikes that pop up. There's like, if you walk through this mist, you are now the other gender. Like, you swap from male to female, female to male. Mm-hmm. This is the original one back right. back before gender was a spectrum. 
and, and it was just like male to female, female to male. And it's like worded right in it. You now swap to the other gender. Yeah. And there's stuff in it, left, right, and center, that's just like, you now become this, you now become this, you're teleported over here. No one knows you're there. You're just going to die there. Yep. Right? And there's just so much crazy funhouse level garbage in there that I would like to play it. But I would like to play it when I have 40 backup characters ready to go because they're just going to die repeatedly. Oh, yeah. And, and that was kind of the point behind the Tomb of Horrors. Like, Absolutely, The yeah. Tomb of Annihilation uh, Adventure Path is an expanded version of and pays homage to the Tomb of Horrors in its original form. Um, the only problem is the Tomb of Annihilation module takes like seven-eighths of that module to get to the actual Tomb of Annihilation, which is just a reskin Tomb of Horrors. But once you get inside, you start feeling that, like, you're right. You will walk through a mist and your gender or race or size or whatever will change. A variable on your character sheet, which up until this point has been set in stone, will change. Um, and... You'll get teleported around. There's puzzles. Oh my god, the puzzles. I love puzzles. There's so many puzzles. All of the puzzles. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, I would say Tomb of Annihilation <laughs> is a good place to go to to scratch that 5e itch. Well, okay. Well, it, besides the fact that they already have it in the uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal. It's one of the... Accurate, oh, is it really? Yeah. Tomb of Horrors is in there? Yeah. I did seven. not check that, but well. Um, <laughs> oh, I know what I'm doing soon. Um, so anyway... I was going to say Tomb of Horrors, and we got totally... That was not your answer? That was not my answer. My, okay. Oh, oops. Yeah, my answer is... It's Dark so good! You rolled a nat 20, so you get two. All right, there we go. Um, so, my answer is Dark Sun. I want to do Dark what? Sun. Yeah, have you never played Dark Sun? No, I played Dark Sun. I'm just wondering why that's your favorite. I have not, so I'm also wondering why that's your favorite. <laughs> because it is bleak, post-apocalyptic Dungeons & Dragons. It is... The sun is burning out. The world has gone cold and dark. The intelligent races are on the brink of extinction, and it is like high. That's the high... one where metal is r incredibly rare, so all yeah. your weapons are made of bone. Or yeah, it's high, high, high fantasy. And in my head, I always love it because that ends with you guys finding a laboratory full of like sci-fi bullshit, Ooh. and it's fantastic. And now you have laser guns because we've gone through this entire like history of a world. Like, the realm is ending. It's the end of everything. And now you guys have been like, you go from cavemen, essentially, that can wield some magic, to now picking up, like, laser guns and force fields. And it just, it breeds the sci-fi fantasy yeah. um, blend that I like, that I never get to see. Yeah, I like that. That's also a great way to uh, practice those exploration techniques that we've just been talking about, yeah. I guess, with environmental uh, concerns. Uh, absolutely. But the other thing, too, that I would do in there is I would just cover the landscape in everything undead. You cannot go 50 feet without running into an undead bird, snake... Uh, orc. Dan, like, you would love that. Skeletons? Oh, God. Yeah, so, so there's just like, there's just ridiculous numbers of undead, zombified. The, the world's coming to an end. Um, and in my head, I the way that I would flavor it myself is death won and killed the sun. And now is bringing everything back undead. And this is how the world ends. You can't stop it. How do you get through this? Maybe you're trying to get to another plane to get out of here. 
maybe you are in control. Ultimately, you find out by like level 12, 13, your tier 3 is you're in control of the last bastion of civilization. And you have to get these refugees from point A to point B. Yeah. And you're on a huge escort mission to get them to a portal in an, in a Mind Flayer uh, spaceship I that crashed. Of, like, it's yeah. craziness. I the, kind the, of imagine some big caravan type yeah. uh, Resident Evil style. Yeah, the, yeah, these are all your, like, Vallejo pictures of, like, uh, greased up barbarians wielding their bone axes, staring at the dark sun descending behind them. With yeah, the and, but, but, but I'm thinking about, like, like, the 30s and 40s pulp. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, very pulpy. Yeah. So, so they've got the bone axe in one hand and the laser gun in the other, and it made sense back then, and we've since separated it. Yeah. But I don't know. I love Star Wars, which is a space opera. Dark Sun, to me, is the is the fantasy opera, right? That's where you get to do that. Yeah. You're not doing that in Eberron. The, You're not doing that in in um, Spelljammer. No. Right? So The one the one Dark Sun campaign I played, uh, our DM, I think our mission was uh, searching out a device that we would shoot into the sun to kickstart it and get civilization, kind of breathe life back. And that's what we were doing. So as a bunch of like, and uh, he told us specifically, none of us were allowed to play any spellcasters. Oh, brutal. And none of us were allowed to, uh, our, our starting equipment was, I think he gave us 10 gold to buy starting equipment, but no metal. So it, it would, like we started off harsh. Yeah, but but you need to in Dark Sun. That's what yeah, I like. Yeah, yeah. I, I also like the idea of like there are three gods, all the other gods are dead. Yeah. Like like destroy, rip the guts out of this entire realm, out of this entire campaign setting. And I like the bleakness of there is no winning. You you may end up finding someone. There may be a romantic interest, but it is it is for warmth against the impending doom. Mm-hmm. It is not a sweeping love story. Right, I just I don't know. I like it bleak. I like it dark. I like it. I hate the phrase grim and gritty, but that's what I want in no, the D campaign. You kind of winning me over with it. And if we're lucky, somebody might cry. So every session, and that's that what I'm aiming for. But is I want to always play. the goal. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I think that's great. All right, cool. so I want to wrap this up. Then, um, is there anything else that uh, that you guys want to touch on, uh, Dan? What'd you get out of this out of this session more than anything else? Did you learn anything? Uh, we, we spent a lot of time on the Feywild, to be honest. And, I think and we used that as an example. But yeah. It was, it was well, no, no, really it was close. good. I'm not complaining. Uh, it, it, being able to actually understand kind of motivations behind your planes and being able to understand motivations behind the creatures within the planes that you travel to for your players, um, to keep it unique, keep it in tone for that plane. Like if there's a axiomatic, uh, plane of some form, have them have those creatures really be paragons of the alignments that they're there for. Cool, Terry. Do you have any final? Uh, yes, for me uh, was exploring the different ways that we can use the the environment uh, and understanding that the environment and exploration uh, and the journey is not an inconvenience to get to your story. It is the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for me, the last thing that I really want to hit home again is be aware and be conscious of time. Don't be afraid to play with it. And I don't necessarily mean time travel, um, although do that. But you should always have the uh, the concept of what time of day are the seasons passing. Because on a calendar, I want to know that, hey, we walked into town two days before the Harvest Festival. And yes, we've got to go another 15 miles north. But hey, let's go to the Harvest Festival. Yeah, Let's have a good time for a half of a session just trying to 
chase greased up pigs. That's like whatever it is. Right? Yeah. yeah. So so be aware of the time. And I if... have a story about the time I caught a greased up pig. Aha. <laughs> do you really? I actually do. Okay. So, um, but anyway, whatever it, it is, um, don't be afraid to explore the concept of exploration. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just ashamed of myself that, now. Uh, was that I, a that, joke? I, that was an attempt at one. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more. Thank you.